you could combine him and Goins, you'd get one really good player or one truly <laughs> awful one. <laughs> yeah, it's you got to be careful with which chromosomes you you blend or whatever. <laughs> it's like the old Highlander movie. There can be only one. I know who doesn't hate cliches. <laughs> Buck Martinez. And welcome to episode number 69 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we've got the disabled list on speed dial. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by Joshua Housem. Josh, how are you tonight? Not too bad, and you? I'm I'm all right, and uh, it's a little unusual that we are coming off of a Blue Jays victory. We we waited till the end of the game to record this on Tuesday night, just to see if we'd have something to celebrate. And and although the victories are minor, we do have one to celebrate. So I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, we're going to talk about Roberto Osuna, who just finished this game off the way we want to see him finish a game off. Uh, we're going to talk about Estrada. Uh, we're going to talk about Liriano doing the Jays a favor when he was in a different uniform. Um, Josh Donaldson, maybe Josh Donaldson is himself again. Uh, we're going to talk about the pitching staff and the bullpen as a big lump. I don't know how long that's going to go on, but, um, we will talk about the epic, epic futility of Kevin Pillar with runners in scoring position. We will take a whole mess of questions from you. Uh, we have an interesting do over that I suppose, uh, we need a visual aid for, but we'll do our best with, and... We have a cliche of the week, which is uh, something we haven't had for a while. So let us launch forward. Let us sally forth. Let us begin talking about Roberto Osuna. Yeah, he uh, he's had his struggles lately for sure. And he's blown a bunch of saves. So his ERA go up by about a run and three quarters over the span of five outings. And one of the things that a lot of people noticed is that his cutter usage has gone through the roof. In in August, it's up to 41.9% of his pitches, which is very, very different from the Roberto Osuna we're used to. And it's been at the cost of his four-seam fastball. Yeah, that's down to 20.9%. This has been kind of an odd thing with Osuna all year. He's been throwing fewer four-seam fastballs than ever. We talked about this way back in April when he was throwing all those sinkers, and we didn't get it because this is a guy who's modus operandi, operandi, whatever the proper pronunciation <laughs> of that is. I'll just stick to English. <laughs> was always just the big four-seamer and sliders to finish guys off. And for some reason in April, he decided, nah, let's throw sinkers. And he sucked. Mm-hmm. And, and now- then he went back to, sorry, yeah, they went back to the four-seamers in May. It's like, hey, he's great again. And now he's not again. Because he's gotten all cutter happy. And and now, not to say that there's something wrong with him, because he says there's nothing wrong with him, but we have seen a drop in velocity even on that cutter, from what my understanding is. Yeah, everything's been about a mile or two per hour slower than usual. Last year, his cutter was around 91 to 92, 93 even some months. This year, he's never had it above 91.2 miles per hour, and in August, it's at 89.8. And if you look at uh, Dr. Mike Sun's uh, FU fatigue units, 
as he puts them. Um, of, of all the pitchers on the Blue Jays, Asuna's work pattern has has had him rack up a ton of fatigue units the way he's used. And you do have to wonder, I know he's already had Tommy John, but you do have to wonder if push comes to shove, if, if his arm is, if nothing else, tired. Yeah, it's absolutely something to consider. And even just coming into the season after the incredible workload he had last year, plus the playoffs, and we we forget this, he left the wildcard game with an injury. We do forget this. I've forgotten it. You know, yeah, like an arm injury. He walked out of a playoff game with it, and then he came back and pitched the rest of the postseason, and we thought, oh, he's fine, but... You know, maybe he wasn't fine. His fastball, all of his pitches are down and have been all season. Now, in today's game, he was efficient. He threw a bunch of four-seam fastballs. Hooray. (laughs) (laughs) You know, hit 95 a few times, but he's not the guy that we've seen in the past pumping 98, 99 when he needs it. And I think that's part of the cause for his switch in repertoire. But 95 with his control was still pretty damn good. Yeah, you do wonder if he's trying to paper paper over a problem that's not there, um, in in some sense. That is, does he believe it has to be ninety eight to be an effective fastball? I don't know. That, I'm not inside Roberto Osuna's head. Yeah, I don't know, and I don't think we'll get the answer that you know John Gibbons brushed it aside. So I guess we'll just have to keep watching and see what happens. So we will move on to your boy Marco Estrada, who you get to say more good things about. Ooh, thank goodness. No more crisis my, of conscience. My boy, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, anybody listening, anytime Marco Strato is good, we're going to talk about it. When he's bad, you know, we, the, the podcast might be too long to discuss it. <laughs> I, I, I may bring it up. It may not be an in-depth thing. That's what I've noticed. <laughs> uh, no, he was really very good against Houston. It started off rocky. He walked the leadoff guy and then gave up a two-run bomb. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. But then he went seven innings, back-to-back seven-inning starts. And home runs do happen with Estrada. We've, we've, we've surrendered ourselves to that idea. Um, you know, when, when you're trying to induce weak contact and it's going to be in the air a lot of the time, sometimes that's not so weak. So, I, you know, that's, that's not entirely unexpected. No, the issue was, as we discussed, I think, on last week's podcast, the walk that preceded it, which was something he wasn't really doing last year. Mm-hmm. One thing that's notable from his last couple times out, he's junked the cutter. He's just not throwing it. He's just going fastball changeup, and he threw a couple curveballs against Houston, but he's just going with the pitches that have gotten him here as opposed to trying to be cute. I mean, this him, he and Osuna are both throwing all these cutters, and it was sort of burning them. Now, in Estrada's case, it was also his changeup and his fastball weren't as effective, but yeah. it's nice to see that they were better the last time out. Indeed. Uh, so does this begin to shape... Obviously, his tra- his trade deadline value was almost zero. Does this begin to shape his free agent value uh, for Mr. Estrada? Oh, I think it definitely does. I think it could also still shape his trade value. I mean, people forget you can make trades in August. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, again, something we discussed last time, the reason that Estrada was not dealt for whatever they could get in July. The hope that he could do this, you know, pitch well for the three, four, five starts in August and maybe go back on the trade market for a team that really wants that push for the playoffs if he's back to being Marco Estrada again. And considering the number of teams that are actually in playoff contention, uh, there may well be someone looking for that little edge somewhere to win one or two more games because in the American League, 
everybody seems to be in the wild card spot. <laughs> yeah, it's really tightly bunched with a lot of crappy teams. And and if you're the Blue Jays, right, if you get to that point, if someone offers you a guy that could be a big leaguer, you take it, right? And then just try to re-sign Estrada if you want him in the offseason. It's not like you're losing out on the ability to give him a qualifying offer because you can't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, that 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 change in the CBA has definitely changed the uh, situation with that late late season trade. Um, so speaking of trades, I should of course segue to the guy I'm supposed to segue to, which is Francisco Liriano. Uh, <laughs> I love that you, when you segue, you're like, I'm just gonna segue. Yeah, this, this is the easiest way to segue is to point out that you're segging the way. I don't think it's like pronounced it. that way. Um, so. He was pretty bad as well in his first outing as an Astro. He wasn't very good, and that wasn't against Toronto. But then he came in and continued to be not very good against the Jays as well. Yeah, it was really nice of him. You know, we, <laughs> the, the Astros are doing fine, and he decided to throw the Jays a little bone and give up RBI hits to Ryan Goins. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, he was. You know, he's adjusting to this life as a reliever thing, and. I, it's not working out so well for him so far. I, I yeah. If Teoscar Hernandez turns out to be a you know a, a big leaguer in the sense of picks up three hundred at bats or plate appearances in in a season for a few seasons, um, I would say Houston, no matter how this turns out, is 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 going to look like they have egg on their face for this this trade. Oh, yeah. And it should be mentioned, too, that he's taken a loss in his two appearances. <laughs> um, yeah. So wins and losses and RBIs keep coming up. Um, John Gibbons told us that the RBIs from Ryan Goins matter. Oh, <laughs> this is not the do over segment, but that could have very easily been a do over. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess in his from his point of view. You can look at it as Ryan Goins has been producing with runners in scoring position with runners on base. So from that sense, it matters. But RBI totals in general do not matter. Yeah, because you, you completely discount all of the times he made an out, not when there were runners on base, but when he could have been the guy on base for for someone to drive him in. Right. You're 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 just not looking at a complete picture of the guy. If you look at his RBIs, there's so much a function of who's out there, and in his case, a tremendous amount of luck. Yeah, and it's and this is something that we should talk about. Look, there's you know, a lot of Ryan Goins hate from us. You know, We don't hate him. We just think he's not good enough to be a major league regular, right? Right. And, and it's sort of turned into this argument of like stats versus not. Uh, Dave Church was making this argument on Twitter today that he's become sort of like the avatar for this, like how Jack Morris was in the Hall of Fame argument. And it sort of boils down to this. If Ryan Goins has this magic skill to hit with runners in scoring position, why the heck doesn't he use it when there's nobody on base? Yeah. What harm? Does he have only a limited amount of hits in his bat? Is that how it works? Uh, because if he only has a limited amount of hits in his bat, that goes against everything I know about good hitters. Uh, so it can't be that. Does he have a magical ability to focus better when he's got runners on base? Well, then he needs to see a sports psychologist and figure out how to be that focused all of the time. Like none of it fits with it and actually being a skill set to hit with runners on base. Yeah, it's it's not. <laughs> it just isn't. 
But any, any, I'm just saying any explanation you try and like follow to its logical end ends up with the question of why only with runners on base? And there is no answer because it's just luck. Sorry. Uh, and I'm really getting, I mean, I'm not watching a lot of the games, I will confess, but I'm getting tired of seeing Barney and Goins in the same box score. Ref Snyder's a nice, a nice different name just to be different. <laughs> <laughs> well, now this is the thing too. So if the chase, we got a question about this, but they're you know, still not officially out of it. They're on the fringes of contention four games out. So I guess their idea is still try to win every game. But at some point, if this continues and they're just give up, rest Snyder has to play every day, right? Yeah. yeah just to see, Hey, maybe there's somebody there to be a backup next year. Cause otherwise what's the point? Ref Snyder's major league OBP, I think was 312 or 319 career, and it's limited appearances before he was traded to Toronto. That's better than both of the guys who he might be playing in place of. So why not let him play in place of them? No, he's not a defensive wizard. I understand that. But he knows how to slide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. He does. Actually, that slide at home plate was awesome. It was fancy. It was it was not as it was not Chris Coglin slide level. <laughs> no, it wasn't show, but it was just good body control. <laughs> um, you know, there's nothing like a bad throw to the plate to make everything more interesting. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, no, it cert- certainly oh, makes the game fun when there's plays at the plate. Yeah. And obviously we can't have big collisions anymore, so we get much more amusing stuff. We we are going to talk about Josh Donaldson because he... I think we should talk about the guy who's not good with runners on base first. Just, you know, a little back and forth there. <sighs> okay. Okay. Kevin, what the heck are you doing, Pilar? <laughs> <laughs> I believe after today's game, and I, I could be out by one or two here, he is 9 for 87 with runners in scoring position this season. Yes, he was 9 for 84 coming into the game, and he was 0 for 3. Yeah. Um, with two, two ground outs and a pop-out? <laughs> yeah, it sounds right. He's been atrocious with runners in scoring position. It's unbelievable. And his numbers with runners when the base is empty are great. If you could combine him and Goins, you either get one really good player or one truly <laughs> awful one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you got to be careful with which chromosomes you you blend or whatever <laughs> it is. Um, now, obviously, a lot of it is, we would presume, luck as well. Uh, but in general, is is Kevin Pillar looking like a full time someone who deserves full time play next year? Well, I think the answer has to be no right now. I mean, he's on base percentage. I think is down to 290 or something like that. And, you know, wins probably added WPA. It's a stat that, you know, it's very context dependent as well because if you come up with the bases loaded and you get out or you get a hit, your WPA goes way up or down. But he's third last in baseball. How is he hitting with runners in scoring position ranked against other hitters? Last. Dead, <laughs> dead last. It's not even close. And... You know, and I think that that kind of stuff is not really likely to be sustainable, right? I mean, right. like, I, I, we can't expect him to be this bad with running a screen position and this good without them. Again, just like the exact opposite of what we just have with Ryan Goins, right? It's, the issue, actually, there's one thing, though, that 
makes it seem a little different. He's seeing way more sliders with runners in scoring position. And, you know, that could be a big reason why he's struggling because Kevin Pillar, especially to righties, has always struggled with that righty slider. Um, you know, I, I, am, I, I would be curious to see if his mechanics change at all when he's trying to hit with runners in scoring position or when he's expecting the breaking ball. Is, is that what's causing him more difficulty? Because um, certainly, if there is some change in behavior, you want to correct for that if it's not all random. But regardless, how good are his numbers even when there is nobody on base? Are they good enough to play full-time? Because his defense has been unremarkable all year. Well, I think they are actually very good. If you just give me a second to pull them up. But, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and actually just on his defense while I'm, while I'm grabbing these, it started off a bit shaky, but when we come back to it, and it's right back at the levels, D, you know, with the DRS and the numbers, that it's been all year, which is which is a credit. And this is why there's an argument that he is still an everyday player because, well, I mean, if you're that good as a defensive center fielder, it's, it's hard not to play you, right? Right. And I mean, if, if that's obviously the higher light real plays haven't been there, um, but if if he's getting to those balls that were getting over his head and over his glove and, and he's showing improvement, I am more willing to believe, you know, a compilation of numbers than I am my limited time seeing Kevin Pillar chase the ball down. Um, so, hey, if he's if he's back to normal there, then, yeah, I guess you play him again. I think if you flank him with two real outfielders, you might see some other uptick in his numbers. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or maybe his DRS would actually go down because he doesn't have to make all the plays. But I <laughs> don't know. Yeah, so <laughs> his line—he's hitting two seventy-five with a three twenty-seven OBP and a four forty-two slugging with nobody on base. If he could put up that line over an entire season with his defense, that's an all-star. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we we just need to cross our fingers that that normalizes. <clears throat> or if it's you know if it is an approach issue that he figures out what the approach is. There you go. All right. So now I'm going to talk about Josh Donaldson because I don't think we have to worry about Josh Donaldson's approach. I think generally what we have to worry about with Josh Donaldson is how hurt is he playing and how much is it affecting him? Because it seems like he's getting over something and he's come to life again. Yeah, his approach is hit dingers, apparently. It's a good approach. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, it's kind of entertaining to watch. <laughs> He's got six of them in his past ten games, including two tonight, and he had all one in each game in the Chicago series. So, yeah, I mean, obviously Josh Johnson coming back and being the force in the top of this lineup is a huge, huge reason for the Jays playing maybe slightly better on offense, and also why they were so bad earlier in the season. And I think it's super important going again. I'm assuming the Jays are not going to make the playoffs. I've I've resigned myself to that a long time ago. You can all hate me for it, um, but I think it's super important to know what you've really got in Josh Donaldson by the end of this season, because we're getting closer and closer to the part where he's looking at okay, do you extend Josh Donaldson's contract? Do you try and keep him as the centerpiece of of the next? Blue Jays core, you know, do you keep him around or are you trying to get rid of him for something else? And the first four months have not told us too much about long-term Josh Donaldson. Nothing good anyway. No, definitely not. 
and it, it sort of skewed all this talk about should they trade him? What should they do with him? It's like, well, we don't know, right? <laughs> what is, we don't know what's happening with him. And it's interesting. He actually said he took off the flap on his on his face mask. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you noticed that. Yep. And, you know, there's a lot of people saying that's the reason he's hitting mm-hmm. better. It's like, well, no, that's not the only reason he's hitting better. <laughs> but he did say that some pitches were harder to see with it. So while it's definitely not the cause for his turnaround, it could be a factor. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. And and again, uh, the Blue Jays have information about how Josh Donaldson's Josh Donaldson is hurt or if he's hurt at a given time that we do not have. Don't think that they have to share every single ache and pain that he has cuz other teams are going to exploit that, right? Yeah, it's not the NFL where you're required to di- <laughs> disclose injuries for gambling reasons. <laughs> um so yeah, I mean the but I mean, it's been apparent that he's not a hundred percent physically. But the question is, uh, how much of that is is sort of a permanent downtick, and how much of it is is a function of a direct injury? And I think if he comes anywhere close to the way he's been the last week and a half, um, that your answer is, oh, the, the long term, it's not a problem. It's it's a short term. It's an acute problem, not a chronic one. As opposed to Jose Bautista, who very very much looks like a chronic problem. Yeah, we'll get to some more Bautista stuff in the questions. But yes, I, th- I think it's a very good way of, us, of describing it. It's like one guy looks like he might be done, and the other guy just, you know, he was bad for a little bit because he was probably hurt. So we have uh, the rotation, which has kind of gotten turned into a bit of a mess <laughs> because they took Francisco Liriano out of it, which understandably, you know, he can't keep pitching in the rotation if he's been traded. I understand. And then uh, the thought was to get, was it, was Joe Biagini going to be the direct replacement for Liriano? No, I don't think so. I mean, the plan was, I think, was to do what they did, which is to send him to the minors and then stretch him out. Okay. So in the meantime, we had, I'm sorry, there there are a lot of pitchers who've passed through and... and (laughs) In the meantime, we've had to be determined because of off days. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't we don't actually know yet. Because after they traded him, they went with the guys that they had plus Cesar Valdez, and then they had a day off. So if Valdez so, was gonna come back around. And now he's on the DL. So it was actually <laughs> So now Nick Tepish is taking his spot, but we still don't know who's taking that fifth starter spot yet because it hasn't come up. That's I mean, in general, this is problematic because if the Jays are really trying to win every game, this doesn't look like a team that's trying to win every game because it doesn't seem to have a plan for all five rotation slots. Well, I mean, how is this different from earlier in the season when everybody was injured at the same time? When it True. was like Matt Latos and <laughs> I guess TJ House will be the next guy? I don't actually know. Could be back. Maybe. Is he still in the organization? Did they? He is. All right. C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lawrence, T.J. Lawrence, C.S. <laughs> <laughs> <C>. Lewis. <laughs> Go to Narnia, I guess, yeah. some pictures. Now pitching tonight, <laughs> the witch from the wardrobe. Um, so, okay, they, they don't have a whole rotation. And I wanted to talk about the idea that maybe they don't have a bullpen. And this is a whole bullpen. And this is part of the problem as well, is... Uh, now that Joe Smith is gone, the, the the arms that you trust in the bullpen, if you're John Gibbons, are Ryan Tapera, 
Danny Barnes, if not injured, uh, Roberto Osuna, and uh, Leon. Right? Like, that you trust, trust, when the game's on the line. Did you see? Yeah, I think that's it. That's only half the bullpen. <laughs> Can you even name the other guys in the bullpen right now? Campos, Loop, Guy, other guy. <laughs> <laughs> guy with the beard. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> I, have they not been pretty much interchangeable, fringy arms the whole time? It's not even pretty much. They absolutely have been inter- interchangeable, fringy arms. Matt Dermody and Taylor Cole. Actually, they sent Dermody down to call it Tepish, so who knows what the heck is going on. And you know, you're talking about this, how there's all these guys that can't be counted on, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest issues, it, you know, it wouldn't be so bad. Like, you can get by with four good back-end relievers, especially when you have guys like Leon, Tupera, and Barnes, all whom can go two innings if they need, if you need them to. Yeah. The problem has been that when these starters, or starters in quotation marks... <laughs> who are also a series of interchangeable arms. Yeah. When they get blasted out in the third or fourth inning, these guys that are garbage can't seem to get them deep into the game so that he can save these good pitchers for games that matter you know a prime example of this was that game against houston on friday i think it was the six nothing you know, lead no no they lost the game 16 to 7 oh that one never mind yeah yeah um and uh valdez actually started that game and he went three and a third you have six runs and it's like okay so they brought in dermody he got an out and then they brought in bolsinger and he got an out you know it's like you're two guys. You were, you need to get two, three innings. They got a combined two outs. So then they had to use Barnes in that game. Which leaves him spent for the next day or the day after the next, depending on how things shake out. That game was horribad um, in terms of, of the pitching. It, you, you, oh, have, yeah. you, you have picked the ripest fruit of horrible pitching. Um, again, James and T.O. is the guy who we follow and we keep quoting him. I, he looked at it and it was one of literally like four games where a team had used six pitchers and all six had given up a run. <laughs> it's back in the 1920s looking at these games. Just so right. bad. Now, but we've talked about this in the past too, that this big difference between the Jays long relievers and other teams. Like, like the, today's night, tonight's Yankees game with this Mitchell. prime example of this. Yeah, Brian Mitchell soaks up four innings in relief. Mm-hmm. And so Robertson threw an inning. Fine, he hadn't pitched in a few days. He didn't, you know, they wouldn't have gone to him if they didn't just want to get him some work. And but they didn't have to use Patances, Chapman, Warren, any of any of these good pitchers that have, you know these guys have been so great for them. Conley, and that's been the problem. You know, Bolsinger has done okay sometimes. He's gone now. Got designated for Simon, but they can't get from the bad start to the end of a game and then you end up burning out even these good relievers and which is why they've all seen their ERAs jump a run except uh, except Dominic Leone in the past month and and I think that's you know I, I that's not on John Gibbons obviously that's just on the player like he's boxed yeah. in by the time he gets to the seventh inning if it's if it's not a close game it's gonna be a close game if he brings one of these guys in um, because he's got a tired Ryan Tapera and Danny Barnes from the previous night. <laughs> and if it is a close game, he's got to bring Barnes and Tapera and Leon in because he's got to keep it close. 
for Osuna, who, again, credit to him, that was his 29th save tonight, so it's not like yep. Osuna's having a bad season. No. <laughs> but he can't... Like, it's very rare that you get the perfect reliever. It, you need to spread that around. So when you've got, a, what, a 13-man pitching staff, and you can only trust four of those guys to get you through four innings every uh just it's a mess so the blue jays need depth real depth yeah and you know Pia genie was supposed to help provide this right when they went back to the bullpen mm-hmm. and he just seemed a little bit spent from his time in the rotation he couldn't quite get his footing going back and forth between roles in the middle of a season going down to the minors to work through it is definitely seems like the right way to go and you know, and when once Smith was gone, it's just the bullpen lacked the, just lacked the arms. Yeah, you went from, I mean, five guys to four guys is a big jump down. Um, and, and again, they were at four guys when Smith was hurt, and then they were at four guys because Barnes was hurt. So, <clears throat> yeah, you, depth. I think I'm back to my depth observation. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so, yeah, that, that's, again, bullpens are or the most fungible sort of asset, you know, construction that you can do to a roster. But, but the Jays really need to address that idea before they can be successful again, I think. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. Do you want to hit up the, the, the questions list that we have? Sure. From our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Then how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? All right. Let's get ourselves started. Would you like to get ourselves started? Am I okay to start with Ballher? Sure. At BaseballHer asks, does it matter to you whether or not Bautista is a Blue Jay next season? It's an interesting question. Uh, You know, people will probably dismiss this, just think of it as, well, well, you know, Bautista, he's no good anymore. Get him off the team. Or he's an icon. He has to be on the team. It's kind of both, right? I mean, ideally, if this is what Bautista is, he would retire. And I, because I don't want to see Jose Bautista playing in another uniform. It would be like watching, there's so many of them, these one offs of weird uniforms at the end of a career. It's like watching, I don't know, Willie Mays in his Mets uniform, Ken Griffey on the White Sox. Yeah. You're just like, what? Uh, I guess. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, if, if Jose Bautista would take a reserve role, he could be a useful bat off the bench, right? But I just don't see that being the situation. It's If if he were not measurably the, one of the slowest, if not the slowest outfielders in baseball, you you could make a case for him as the Matt Stairs role, right? Yeah. Which would be kind of fun because <laughs> Matt Stairs just went up and tried to hit home runs every time. I'd love to see that for Bautista. None of this taking fastballs down the middle on two and zero oh and two and one like he did today. Just go sell out for bombs every at bat. Yeah. So you you could I could see that, but I also don't see his value anywhere but at DH, and the Jays are not going to carry a DH bench bat. It doesn't make any sense. And they've already got a DH signed for two more years. Who is? At the moment, still outproducing Jose Bautista by a good mark. Yep. Does it matter to me? To be honest, it doesn't really matter to me. It would be odd 
uh, but I, I could live with it. That's just, that's baseball. Sometimes the fairy tale ending just, it doesn't quite sort itself out. He will still be the bat flip. He will still be the guy who hit, hit all of the home runs in the game against KC that uh, nobody else did anything right in. You know, still Jose. Okay. You want to fire up the next question? Yep. This is from Emily, get well too low, <laughs> at Jay's girl Emily. Where about should Dolanson's name hang on the level of excellence? Hmm. That's a nice one. Beside Delgado? Yeah, in foul territory. Um, it's interesting, you know, this idea of Donaldson, if he gets up there, he'll have played not a ton of seasons in Toronto, depending on how long he's here. Four seasons. Has anybody ever gone up with that shorter tenure? Was Alomar five? Five years. Yeah. So I would assume Alomar was the minimum because Bell and Carter were both longer. Mm-hmm. Who else? Delgado, obviously, way longer. Yeah, same with Fernandez. Fernandez. Three times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Steve, same thing. But yeah, I, I think that it'll be a situation with him just on this topic. If he, st- if he stays beyond his current deal, then he's a shoe-in for it. I think if he leaves, he probably doesn't get there. Yeah, I th- I think it would be a hard hard sell at some point. Um but again, you because you, if he leaves then you're looking back at 10 years from now maybe some some other name has has sort of shone brighter in the meantime and people don't think about it as much. It'd be interesting. Yep. Yeah. Uh Millhouse at Dabuch. <laughs> what's wrong with Osuna? Well, we already covered this sort of He's getting lit up. That's what's... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But yeah, we, we went through this back in the earlier part of the podcast. I'd like to point out that the Blue Jays had a week where I believe they, they came back from a ridiculous, most ridiculous bottom of the ninth situation. And then they, they proceeded to convince you that that was a, just a fluke by giving up a six-run lead in the seventh and a three-run lead with, uh, in the ninth with a two-run lead with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. So, that was the next day, wasn't it? Yeah, they're quite the... Uh, I think the six-run lead was the next day. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a team that just when they think that they're going to impress you, just snatches the rug out from under you. Yeah. I think we may be learning someone's real name on the next question. Is that possible? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to read it? Uh, Josh Treats. At Lou Brown 34 says, which Toronto radio members do you listen to when they talk? Do you like listening to when they talk? Example, Mike Wilner makes me want to die when he patronizes fans too much. Yeah, it's definitely not Wilner. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't love many of the Toronto radio personalities, I got to say. Uh, I mean, I can I, I can listen to Bobcat because he does a really good interview, but when he actually talks about baseball... <laughs> so I don't live in Toronto, so it's harder for me to listen. So when I do tour into Toronto, I get it in small doses, which is always the best way to take your sports talk radio. Don't think that there's any other... Do not listen all day. Do something else. Um, so I like... I'm okay with Stephen Brunt when he's on. Stephen Brunt has this thing where sometimes he just goes dark. He goes full heel on the Jays, and it's just trade Tulo, move Goins to first base. I mean, he never said that one, but you know, he just every, everything is wrong and must be dire and blow it all up. And then 
Other times he's just more rational. When Stephen Brunt is rational, he's the best in the business. And I like listening to Bobcat, but only um, in the sense that as performance art. <laughs> All right, let's move on from Moon. That's a good way to end. Um, just, I'll... yeah. And if you wonder what I mean, someone can ask that question next week and I will explain. <laughs> <laughs> this one comes from Dave Church, a proud patron of the podcast. Thanks again, Dave. Which of these three gets the most starts in the Jay Zelfield next year? Steve Pierce, Dalton Pompey, or Jose Bautista? Steve Pierce. Yeah, I don't think it's close. And, and I'm, I, I would bet at under 100 starts, but it's going to be Steve Pierce. Yeah, Who, I would bet under 50 for the other two guys combined. Yeah. Who we like, by the way, not just yeah. because, yeah, we're fine with Steve Pierce in the outfield. That's not a... It's not a bad thing necessarily. He he actually had a, what looked like an acceptable route to a ball tailing away from him tonight, and I I felt good for him. <laughs> uh, Tammy Rainey at Tammy underscore Beth asks: Big dollars to sign Darvish this winter or no? If you're asking if I would do it, the answer is hell yes. I think he'd be great in Toronto, but I don't see it coming. It just doesn't seem like the kind of move his team would make. He's not super old or anything like that, but he's had some arm injuries and you know, it's just that going after that kind of big fish on the mound doesn't seem like something that the Shapiro Atkins regime would be interested in. Probably not. It would be really fun if they did. That'd be cool. It would be hilarious to go find all the people who predicted that they, that they had won the bidding for Darvish. And ask them how they feel now. <laughs> <laughs> that guy that I can't remember his name, Kevin Gray, Gray or something. Like, yeah, Kevin Gray could come out of retirement. Yeah, he just fell off the map. But that's a story for another day. Oh, what do we got now? You can say the press conference is now. Um, <laughs> this is from Blue Jay Way at Blue Jay Way One. Why is Smoke's walk-up song not "Smoke on the Water"? Why is it not when smoke gets in your eyes? <laughs> or smoke it by Mob Deep. Well, I can probably answer that one because it's like not Justin Smoke at all and full swearing, but you know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, you know, if he's going to hit and he's still on pace to hit what? 36, 37 home runs? He can walk up to whatever he wants. Dead silence. I don't care. <laughs> oh, I think he's on pace to hit over 40. Woo! <laughs> uh, shout out to Giancarlo Stanton who is uh, healthy and hit his career high. 38th home run tonight, just randomly. That's my final thought. Not in the final thought slot, but I was going to forget it. So, Oh, he's going to come come up again later. Um, all right. Busy at Uncle Busy 4. Um, it's an article from the Washington Post about uh, the existential crisis in baseball. Basically, nobody puts the ball in play, I assume, is the thrust of the article. And he's asking, is this a real problem? Is this a solution to back up the fences, move the uh, pitching rubber back a couple feet? What, what, uh, what do we have here? Yeah, well, this is actually something that baseball is considering addressing. We sort of talked about this, I think, back when Rob Manfred was trying to introduce all those weirdo rule changes. <laughs> One that I think that they think would make the biggest change is just raising the strike zone. And they were talking about raising it from the bottom to the top. If pitchers stop losing those low strikes, you're going to see a lot more balls put in play. Because mm -hmm. they're going to have to work up in the zone more, and you're just not going to see all those strikeouts. I, that's, that's my belief. Now, I don't think it's necessarily a problem. 
I do understand that it hurts pace having all these strikeouts, walks, and homers. Because well, homers not so much, but you know, when, when it's just batter goes up, batter goes back, batter goes up, batter goes back, it does drag. But I don't think it's at the point of needing a fix yet. I think that there is some. There's always some adjustment going on in the game, so I, I accept that there's some adjustment, and then usually there there's some counter adjustment, and I think we're still sort of waiting for that, but. What people don't, people talk about the increase in strikeouts. I'm not overly concerned about the increase in strikeouts. It's the disappearing walk. Nobody walks anymore. And nobody walks more than they strike out, even even at the same percentage that they used to walk. And it's weird. It's like, where, where is the plate discipline? Or is the strike zone too big? Like, something's going on there that I think hasn't really been looked at in terms of what happened to the walk? What Oh, those bases on balls. They used to be a problem. And they were dull, so most people don't miss them. But it does change that battle between the, the batter and the pitcher if he's, if he's trying to work a walk. And nobody seems to be doing that anymore, except we, Joey and, Votto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're actually seeing the lack of walking acutely in Toronto with a guy like Bautista, but... Oh, well. <laughs> don't, don't cry over Bautista every podcast that's all i'm saying um your next question i believe okay it's from dave goss how many wins in a row before you consider the jays back in playoff contention this is actually interesting because as i alluded to earlier they are four games back probably you know assuming kansas city loses this game which they're losing right now four games back of a playoff spot i'm going to give the stereotypical yet true spinal tap answer 11 11 wins in a row. Yep. If this team cracks off 11, I, w- I would even give you 12 out of 13. If they can do 12 out of 13, I'll, I'll be right back on the bandwagon. Yeah, I think it's going to take something like that. You know, 10 out of 11. If they go 9-1 and one on this homestand, I think they'll be back in it because they'd be beating teams ahead of them. They'd be beating Tampa. They'd be beating the Yankees. And Pittsburgh, who's, you know, they don't really count. But... <laughs> But I think it's going to take something like that. I mean, even if the Jays are four back by the end of this podcast, there's still five teams, six teams ahead of them to get to the second spot. And that's not insignificant. Not at all. It's a problem. It's, it, yeah, it's, it gets complicated when everybody's all jammed up for the second wildcard spot. It, it's like the old Highlander movie. There can be only one. <laughs> or two in this case but <laughs> but no th- well that's the thing everyone's not really fighting for that first wild card spot that's at the moment the first wild card spot is by a couple of games between the Yankees and the Red Sox right yeah yeah the Yankees are two games up on the Royals for this first one and the Red Sox are a couple games up on the Yankees um the interesting thing about this Jays pursuit the teams that are ahead of them the Royals Rays Mariners Orioles Twins and Angels None of them is a team that it, it would shock me if they just went in the tank for the rest of the season. I I understand anything can happen in the playoffs, but when I look at the composition and the record of those teams, and I think about them running into eventually the Astros or the Diamondbacks or the Dodgers, <laughs> I'm just like, whoo! <laughs> Hey, at least if the Jays make it to the postseason, they don't need five starters. Because <laughs> they don't have them. <laughs> oh. Um, 
Tau yeah, a winning streak would be nice. Tau of Steve uh, at Tau of Steve uh, asks us, who is the Blue Jays' second best reliever and why? Do you want to take it first? No, you go ahead. I think you have a name in mind. I have two names in mind. I was going to say Dominic Leon. I mean, he has been su- somewhat surprisingly excellent. You know, his strikeout percentage is over 27%. His ERA is down in the mid two and a halves. But I think I could, this is a case that could be made for Ryan Tapera as well, just because, you know, Dominic Leone, if there's a, there's a stat called shutdowns and meltdowns, which is basically when a reliever comes in, what he does to the game, <laughs> whether he increases or, or decreases the win probability. And, you know, Leon is at nine shutdowns and six meltdowns. I think it has to be a 0.03 increase. I can't remember exactly. Whereas, ultimately, think of the shutdown meltdown as a save for any situation. Yeah, actually, it might just be has to increase the win probability. But and Tapera is 20 shutdowns and seven meltdowns. Tapera has pitched in the higher leverage spots. And for the most part, you know, today's circus act notwithstanding done a really efficient excellent job <laughs> he's just well if you want to get a shutdown you got to raise the 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 leverage <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work that way it's when no. you enter the game i bet you he thinks it does uh um, no, today would have been a meltdown <laughs> oh my goodness so i am also going to say ryan to at this point i would have said joe smith but we don't have that guy anymore um so i i just think any guy who who really manages to take his problems, which was control for Tapera, and eliminate them almost completely. Um, not today. Not today. Almost completely. Uh, th- there's a credit to that. that. That's a real skill. That's not a fluke. Uh, and, and I think that the way that uh, Gibbons doesn't hesitate to go to him is an indication that, you know, he, he really has come into his own. So I'm, I'm for Ryan Tapera. Wouldn't it be funny if one of us said Roberto Osuna? I was just about to say that. <laughs> uh, no, I'm still giving the top reliever to Roberto Osuna. <laughs> so everybody knows. Okay. I'm with you. Hit me with the last one. All right. From Robin at Mustard Robin. Where do you rank Dave Steve in the history of Jay's players? Uh, so we go... Bautista, Halliday, Alomar. I didn't watch Delgado, but I gotta say Delgado. Probably steep. So number five. You? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's basically for among pitchers. It's between Steve and Holiday for the best one, right? I don't know which one is the answer there. And I don't know. I, he's he's in the very comfortably in the top seven players in the history of this team, mm-hmm. but he's I mean, not in the top three. No. And, and and again, had I been not seven years old when he was winning ERA titles, I might have a different <laughs> opinion. I was one. Um. <laughs> so we do have a, there is a recency bias there, but that's where we're at on that one. Either way, he was one of the great players in the history of the franchise, and there's no argument against that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he, he is a certain kind of Blue Jays legend. 
Uh, and now we, we shall move along. Oh, we, we have, sorry, we had one question from Brian, which came in via direct message, which we will quickly go to. Who, in wrestling terms, would be the face and the heel on the Blue Jays roster? This is a tough one. Yeah, I think the heel... <laughs> Oh, geez, there's a lot of contenders for the heel. <laughs> right now, I think it's Strowman, right? Oh, maybe. Maybe. The one everybody loves to hate? I mean, there was a time yeah, when Jose Bautista was the instant answer for that, wasn't he? Yeah, but I think the heel, you know, the top heel has to be, you know, the top of the game. they got to be yep. good. Yep. Yeah, it has to be a real reason to hate them. So I think you're on to something there. So we got Strowman as the heel. The face. Oof. I, th- I think this baby face got to go to Osuna. Yeah, he is kind of, he is. Well, I've, I've seen, though, Josh Donaldson do that hair toss in the dugout. Yeah, but he <laughs> heals it out sometimes. <laughs> it seems like a face kind of move. Because, I mean, if you is want it? all the ladies to holler, which I suppose nah. is- that's a heel it. move too. Ric Flair did that all the time. Okay. No, he's a tweeter. I it's <laughs> I think it's Osuna because he's the he's the top guy. He's great, but he's you know really nice, and the fans love him. Does things for the kids. I, it's got to be him. Uh, Joe Biagini didn't get any votes on either side of that. I. <laughs> he's the jobber. <laughs> Poor Biagini. Oh my goodness. Okay, so that ends the questions portion of our show. We hope you enjoyed it. On to... Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... Yeah, on to the do-over. Uh, we were gifted a picture of a tweet from the Rangers broadcast. Now... The Sportsnet broadcast has been, I believe, the subject of our our mockery before, has it not? Many, many times. Um, you know, the bar graph for Ari Dickey's pitch speed that had no skin. It was just two rectangles underneath Ari Dickey's pitch speed. Didn't have anything to do with anything. There, there are a number of other suspicious things going on on Sportsnet. But just Sportsnet the, bar graphs in general. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, you know, they've gotten a little better over time and such. But the person who put together this particular graphic um for the rangers broadcast was it was amazing i would just say at how far away they got from where they were supposed to be so the title of this graphic is most home run players born outside the u.s cool pictures underneath ichiro suzuki rod (laughs) carew rafael palmero adrian beltre and um roberto clemente roberto clemente Okay. All of those guys did not hit a lot of home runs. With Except Palmero. Save Palmero, who is in the middle of this graphic. Now, the names below <laughs> the graphics, underneath Ichiro, Sammy Sosa, who they do not look alike <laughs> in my estimation. You could mistake Albert Pujols and Robert Rod Carew, but I don't think you would. Rafael no. Palmero's name is actually on this graphic Rafael AT&T because of the unfortunate placement of the advertising. <laughs> of the ad. <laughs> um, I don't think Adrian Beltre's haircut and Manny Ramirez's haircut are the same at all, but that's what it looks like on the graphic. And then, of course, David Ortiz never played for the Pirates. <laughs> and he's about 100 pounds heavier than Clemente. But... 
So what clearly was supposed to happen here was supposed it was supposed to be the most hits by players born outside the U.S. because Beltre had just gotten his three thousandth hit or three thousand and first because he passed Clemente, and so they probably told some intern, "Okay, go get the go do this and get the we got the graphic, got the images, great, okay, most hits." And then they did they googled most home runs and put that in and put those names. Yeah, because they do have the most hits foreign players: Suzuki, Carew, Palmero. Beltre and Clemente. The really weird part about the graphic is that somehow Rafael Palmero, the guy who played for Texas on the Texas Rangers broadcast, ended up being correct on this abomination of a graphic. The only thing that's even <laughs> close to correct. It just is when he happened to be third in both. Like, <laughs> Which, what oddly, the fact that he's right makes it seem even more wrong for the rest of it. Yeah. And I realize that this is an audio podcast. You know, we're talking about this image you're not seeing. We're putting it up on the page. Of course. Josh is good like that. Uh, yeah. My, I'm just, I'm amazed that that got, like, I, I'm curious if there was a comment from the announcers when they were, you know, kind of half, half asleep reading that. Because, man, something is not right there. You, you begin to sense it after, like, the, the first picture. Um, also Same weird to is it's advertising Seattle Mariners at Texas Rangers and the first guy of course is Ichiro who you think of as a Mariner is pictured in his Marlins uniform perfect, uh, perfect. Just, just the way we drew it up in practice so we'd like to issue a do over to the intern on the Texas Rangers graphics crew who was tasked with either <laughs> titling or finding the pictures <laughs> um, give an opportunity to, to double check whatever he was supposed to double check <laughs> before they posted that and uh, come on the podcast, explain what you really did do and, uh, and we'll never talk about it again. Um, we do have, of course, the cliche of the week and, and I will tee it up as such. Man, what a cliche. I thought writers hated cliches. I know who doesn't hate cliches. <laughs> Buck Martinez. Tell us it's about been it. A long, it's been a long time since we, <laughs> you know, did a little do-over or something like this. It's usually the cliche of the week for these guys, for Buck and Pat. Yep. If you watch tonight's Yankees game, and probably if you watch any of the next two games in the series, you may have heard something about the home run derby and Aaron Judge. <laughs> you think? I think if you tuned into any specific inning, you probably heard something about Aaron Judge <laughs> and the home run derby. There's this commonly held view that the home run derby kills players. Like the reason for Aaron Judge's slump is that he was in the home run derby. It has nothing to do with the fact that he's a rookie, essentially, and the league is adjusting to him. No, no. It's not like he struck out like 40% of the time last year and is now striking out 40% of the time again. No, no, nothing like that at all. Or almost like he was never, ever supposed to be a 330 hitter, you know? It's like he never did that in the minors even. And... You know, it's, it's what I told you he was going to come up again. Maybe they should look at the guy he faced off with, Giancarlo Stanton. Or he didn't get to face off with him. But no. no. See, that's the thing. Him. Stanton got that early uh, round elimination from Gary Sanchez, right. and it helped him. <laughs> Doesn't matter. He was still in it. <laughs> Giancarlo Stanton has 12 home runs in 23 games since the All-Star break. That's He's because... hitting 277 with a 406 on base and a 783 slugging. You know what this, the thing is? Stanton, because it was at home, he thinks it's still the home run derby. 
He's st- ah, that's it. <laughs> He's still swinging on everything from the fences. But the second he goes in the road, <laughs> boom, doomed. Um, yeah. Now I got to check to see how he's doing uh, on the road since. Because <laughs> if, if you're right about this, this is going to be very funny. No, he's doing better on the road. Of course you he suck, is. Greg. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, so does the cliche that the home run derby ruins people. Um, yeah, okay, here's the secret. Usually you get into the home run derby because you had a fantastic first half. And usually you had a fantastic <laughs> first half because you were overperforming your natural talent level. And lo and behold, you come crashing back to earth after that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember the one he was like, Bobby Abreu gets into the break with 30 bombs or something. And people are like, oh, what happened? He only hit six the rest of the way. Because he's freaking Bobby Abreu. It's like... <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah, as it turns out, if you're Giancarlo Stanton, um, you are immune to the home run derby, uh, you know, destructive properties. And if you're Aaron Judge, you're going to be talked about every game of this series. At great length, whether you're batting or not. Um, the only thing is, we will, we'll hear less about Derek Jeter. Oh, yeah, I guess that's a small consolation. <laughs> oh, my small consolation is that I get to listen to your final thought. Okay. My final thought, this is a goofy thing that happened in the minors. So, we don't tend to agree with much of the... Uh, the culture of baseball nonsense and the unwritten rules. This one crossed the line. So there was a guy in the minors for the Dayton Dragons. I'm sure that if we had uh, Jesse Goldberg Trust on, he'd know him. Jose Siri mm-hmm. had a 39 game hit streak. That's impressive. Comes up. Yeah. And he, he was 0 for 3. And he comes up in the last about in the eighth inning and the pitcher throws at him. To try to make him lose his streak. How small do you have to be? They also came inside on him earlier. Yeah. He threw at him on th- the first three pitches, in my belief, and then eventually stopped, and he pitched around him and then walked him. Yeah. Why? <laughs> That's my only I, 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 Yeah, I mean, what do you get out of that? Do you get the pride that you stopped a hitting streak? But where's the pride if you just stopped a hitting streak by not throwing the guy a pitch to hit? It's not like, you know, it's not like bunting to break up a perfect game where you can actually do something to stop something bad against your team. This is a personal streak for a guy on another team. And he's not, it's not a home run streak or something. He's just trying to get a hit. (laughs) Yeah, and a 4-1 game with the bases empty. So even if he got a hit, it wouldn't matter. Very strange and sad, really. Um, I interjected my final thought earlier, so y'all can take that one to the bank. Uh, did you enjoy this, this podcast? Because, uh, you can show us that you appreciate us by going to www.patreon.com slash turf pod and, uh, and making a donation to support us in the wonderful work that we do here. And, uh, we would do absolutely appreciate all of our patrons and, uh, and big thank yous to them once again. This was Artificial Turf Wars episode number 69 and I was your host Greg Wisniewski and uh, you have been my good friend Josh Housem and we will talk at you next week Mm -hmm.